Happy March, everyone. I can't believe it's here already. I mean, it's mid-March. Happy March. Spring is here, and we're rocking and rolling, and I've got a lot of new thoughts, some old thoughts circulating in my mind, things that I've just been pondering on that I will share a little bit with you today. First, though, I want to introduce to you today's guest, who is Dan. He is Dan Doty. And he is a visionary entrepreneur, a speaker, a consultant, and the co-founder and voice of Everyman. Dan is the host of the Everyman podcast and the former director of the cult hit TV show Meat Eater. He has been a three-time guest on the Joe Rogan Experience and twice on the Today Show. His role with Everyman has been featured in the NYT, Men's Health, GQ, and many more national and international publications. Dan is a man's man with a well-developed tender side. I love that so much. He embodies the ability for men to be exactly who they are and is sharing the message that there are so many definitions of manhood as there are on the as there are men on the planet. So true. You know, this podcast really had me thinking. Um, the way that Dan describes who his, quote, audience is and who he's speaking to in the Everyman podcast and the Everyman groups is your average truck driver right? And for your average truck driver, the terms feminine and masculine are not, are not going to resonate with them. So it's really, really important we choose the right verbiage when we are talking to people about embracing emotional literacy. And what Dan's mission is, is to change the script on emotions for men in our lives, for our husbands and our brothers And also for our mothers, for our sisters, for everyone. And I really enjoyed his perspective. It grounded me back in my own, uh, the genesis of all this conversation around emotions that I love. Looking past the feminine and the masculine and separating anything and just looking at emotions, this fundamental part of being human. This compass, this north star, this lighthouse these lighthouses that are pointing us if we want to go north or west or east and how to get to shore and how to get to safety and how to go to the deep end. And I really appreciate what he's doing for men in this world, in this day and age, who have been through the ringer, right? When I think about my own father, like this is the kind of material and the kind of a podcast and, and the kinds of groups of men that would really relate to him and resonate with him because he's not in this world. So if you're feeling inspired and intrigued and you want to be dropped into the world of the average man today, this podcast is really going to serve you. And the more that we know about what women are going through, what men are going through, what kids are going through, grandparents, everyone, the more educated we are, the more we can hold space for someone else's experience that is different from our own. So that is what is on deck today on the Mind, Body, Musings podcast. And here are some of my thoughts recently. Um, hmm. I'm going to close my eyes and ground into this and how I want to say this. Man, there's so many things. So this week I, I closed the container, two six-month containers with, with coaching clients, which is always a tender experience when you spend six months with a human being, crafting their business, pouring your heart into their lives, 
receiving emails for them every other day and communicating with them about their mother, their father, their partner, the business they're building, their emotions, and guiding them through that and holding space for that and doing embodiment practices. It is, it's quite a journey to be a coach. It really is. You're holding a lot for, for the amount of clients you choose to have. I choose to not have very many personally. Um, so when I close containers, it's a great time for me to reflect on the past six months of what I learned, what I felt shift and grow and change within them, because your clients are really, truly your greatest teachers. Um, and a lot of my podcast material comes out of that. I, y'all heard just two weeks ago, I did the blending the real you with the work you episode, which I got a lot of great feedback about. If you have not listened to that, I will include a link to it. Highly recommend you listen to that. But one of the things that I hear a lot in my coaching containers, um, because a lot of times I attract a client who's very similar to me, is that they're, they're walking through life with this sense of obligation to others above themselves. Obligation to be the person that the mother wanted them to be. And if they're not the person that their mother wanted them to be, they're going to break their heart. Or the person that their father wants them to be. A businesswoman, upper class, like the things that they like. And maybe this person, this client, or this human that listens to my podcast that I've talked to, I'm getting this example from, doesn't want to be like that. And what then, when you come face to face with you choosing to live this life according to someone else's desires and how they envision you to be versus your own. And in fact, you are abandoning yourself when you do such a thing. You are abandoning the things that make you you, that are going to make you you, that are going to take you to your next step. Because sometimes it's as simple as listening to that little tiny cue in your body that says, "Mm, I want to (laughs) buy, this is simple, I want to buy that t-shirt. Right? I want to buy that t-shirt, but it has a cuss word on it. And if I, if I buy that t-shirt and it has a cuss word on it, then my mother will somehow know and she will think that I am bad. Or if I buy a sex toy, somehow someone will find out in my family who has a Christian background and they will know and I will be bad. I just went to this amazing performance by this woman named Rotanya. Rotanya. Yeah, I hope I'm saying that right. Her Instagram is I am Rotanya. And I'm saying that funny, but yeah, it was one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen in New York City. Uh, So artistic, so beautiful. And this woman grew up in Saudi Arabia and always grew up feeling like she had two separate identities. There was the part of her that was the Saudi Arabian woman and the family girl and all that was expected of her and the devoted lover of religion and faith and beauty and poetry and culture And then there was part of her that wanted to come to America and be a musician and break free and choose her own family and make art and uh, be on the big stage and just change fundamentally a lot of things about how she shows up in the world and be free. And within this performance, I'm not going to, I'm not going to share anything. It's a, it's a private performance. It's very intimate. But um, what I will share is that there was a message within her art around being good being good you know and the families that we are raised in from childhood that is where we start to fundamentally create our idea of what is good and then we spend a lot of our time searching for proof through the people that we date 
through being straight, through having the perfect body, through going to church or whatever religion upbringing you were raised in, to writing sentences on your blog posts that made everyone proud of you, to building the right business from the start perfectly with the right logo and the right colors and doing everything right and being good. And this resonates so deeply in my heart, this innermost need, this desire to be good by the world, by my family, to do it right. And I'll tell you that acting is breaking all of this up and it's showing me right in my face every time I do any kind of monologue or performance or memorize sides, it goes right in my face that in this moment I have to forget to be good. Or the moment I sit down on the page and I write something, a screenplay, a, a poem, I have to forget the need to be good. Because you cannot create the kind of art that you want to create, whether it's on paper or it's on a stage or it's on a platform, or it's in your heart, in your diary, in your relationship, in the business, the coaching business you want to build, if you're living by the perimeter of being good. Because that being good is completely 100% based off of society, your upbringing, your childhood, the messages you received when you were four years old, when you didn't even know what good was, but you felt in your body what it was. And all of life after that, once you wake up to this need to be perfect and this need to do things right, is all about identifying those moments where you choose between you and those fear-based voices in the back of your head that say, if you do that, you will lose love. That is an invitation for you to do what is true for you and mess up. Do it wrong. Do it ugly. Do it bad. Mess up. But do it because doing the things that make you come alive is what makes more of you available to love and to life. The more you continue to neglect your sexuality, you neglect your character, who you are as a character. Maybe you're someone who wants to live in the mountains by yourself and living alone in isolation really fuels your heart and you love it and all you want to do is have chickens and animals and and just be left alone and and your family is all raised on being together all the time and the more that you're listening to the voice of having to be with other people all the time you are neglecting this fundamental part of you that the world needs that you need maybe you're someone who wants to talk about the patriarchy but yet you come from a family that's totally built off of the patriarchy and doesn't see anything about the patriarchy as bad Every time you silence your own mouth, you are actually obeying the patriarchy, which sounds like it would be against your soul's contract because your soul's contract is to come here and fight that. So no wonder you're afraid of doing it. I was talking with a client today in our final session about how the thing you're probably not doing because you have the most fear of doing it, it's a no-brainer that it's the most important thing to you to do. Fear is your thermometer for how close you're getting to the most important things in your life. If you are terrified of getting up on a stage and speaking your truth, your story, guess what you're probably here on this planet Earth to do? If you have the most resistance every time you want to sit down and start writing a few pages for a book you have you have on your mind and on your heart, and every time you sit down to write, all of a sudden you have, oh, I should clean that thing. Oh, I should have some little sexy me time. Oh, I should water my plants. That is fear trying to keep you from doing the thing you so desperately want to do because the more you stay away from doing that thing, the more you stay away from failure. 
All of this to say, notice how many times you really want to buy that thing, say that thing, go on that trip, date that person, and you hold back because you're afraid of breaking somebody else's heart or you're afraid of not being good or you're afraid of failure. My invitation to you is to fail, to dare to fail, to dare to embarrass yourself, to mess it up, to allow your family to have their own experience because they're allowed to cry and they're allowed to be heartbroken by you changing ways and you being different. Actually, they need to go through that experience in order to get to the other side just like you do. And so often we don't go into those places we want to go into because we don't want to feel the feeling we will have when someone else's hearts break. I'll repeat that. So often we don't do the thing we want to do. Or we get codependent and make somebody else do something or say something. Because we don't want to feel the feeling beneath that. You might cater to what your parents want of you because you don't want to feel the feeling of them crying and being hurt when you don't. So you continue to do the thing. Or you might try to get your partner to come home every single night instead of going out with their friends because you don't want to feel the feeling of being alone. Notice how often you you either try to get someone to do something, including yourself. You try to get yourself to do something against your own will. And identify the emotion beneath it. And a lot of what I've shared so far, the emotion might be disappointing people. And not feeling like you are good because you disappoint people, hurting people. But my, my thing here is you can embrace more of you while still loving those who aren't loving that. You can love your family as you break away and find your own calling. Even if they are hurt, you can love them regardless and love you regardless. And thank you for going through that experience of embracing more of who you are. And let them have their own process. They need to have that. That's part of their growing experience. Them going into that darkness of being disappointed and being hurt, that's going to show them something. It is showing them where they are still holding on and not letting go of their partner or their child or their nephew or niece. And by you never embracing the parts of you that are calling out to you to be embraced, you're catering to them, not growing, not learning, not shifting. You're helping them stay exactly where they are. You embracing more of what it is that lights you up is a way they will begin to grow too. It's a catalyst. It's a train. One person goes on, the next person will go on. I think a domino effect is a more appropriate example there. Okay, that is all for today. Ah, I think we should go hop on into this episode with Dan Doty. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. So good to have you here today. Morning. How's it going? Good. So good. So good today. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you because recently I've had I've had a lot of men on to the Mind Body Musings podcast to talk about the angle of the divine masculine, as we you and I have talked about earlier before. But what I love about you is that you are making 
you're making men's work grounded and relatable to the everyday man. Hence why your site is every man. And the work that you're doing is for every man where we can often take these concepts into a very esoteric land. You're making it relatable. And I, I, I want to be having more of that on my podcast because those are really the types of men we're most surrounded by. And we do a disservice sometimes by just skipping right on over to this divine masculine territory, which I love, but it, it, the everyday man is the man we, we need to be serving. Like they're the men that are going to be changing the way that uh, we live our life because they're the ones that are surrounding us. So they're going to be the ones that are like, it's crucial that we're speaking in their language. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, the first sort of point of that is that I actually don't use the word men's work. I don't use that phrase. I don't like it. I don't claim it. Uh, I don't think it resonates with 90% of men in the country. Maybe that's changing. Maybe maybe I'm still sort of stuck in a stubborn place with that. But, uh, you know, I, I have a test that I always use, and it's a test of like if I go back to where I grew up in North Dakota and went into the bar, um, you know, to to talk with the dudes there, like, w- do I have a chance in hell? <laughs> I guess is 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 the, my litmus test. Do I have a chance in hell uh, to get their attention or their ear? Mm. Right. So I actually think even that. Um, so yeah, obviously, yes, every man is is in the world of men's work, and they're um, very hard working, very hard to. Um, massage or relax that term and come up with language that is more specific and more pointed so that we can say what we're doing and, and not lump it into this. Um, again, for you know people down the, the sort of spiritual path, yeah, men's work is a thing and it, it does make sense, but it doesn't make sense to most guys. What is the, the verbiage that you use? I'm curious. What are the pointed words? I, I mean, it's it's we're it, we're working it out. Um, but what feels really good to me right now is is um, is emotional literacy, right? And uh, emotional fitness, uh, uh, full spectrum, um, full spectrum health, right? Like th- there's this huge, uh, both the mindfulness world, the nutrition world, and sort of the performance world. Um, are areas where, you know, men, maybe larger numbers of men have adopted, are adopting. Um, and I think what, what I'm hoping to do is uh, catch people's ear. And, and actually, I think it's coming, but I think there's this wave coming of uh, human connection and emotional health as just as important part of our, of our full spectrum health or our, our general health as going to the gym or, you know, eating the right things or not eating the wrong things, things like that. Um, so yeah, um, you know, uh, and I can't say we're, we're totally succeeding at this linguistic challenge, but we're, we're getting there. I, th- I think we're, we're, we're doing okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's the litmus test that I think of is, is my father. My father is like the most classic example. I told you before we started recording that my dad's moving to Montana and I've never been to Montana, but I assume they are very similar to him. He's going into a place that it's, it's very similar to him. And he is, um, I was having a conversation with him the other day and we're going through some like family stuff and it's bringing up emotions. And I said something to him like, you know, dad, 
it's okay if you cry. <laughs> like, I just wanted to slip this in. Like, it's okay if you feel something. And immediately he just said, I didn't cry. I didn't cry, you know? And, and for him, like, this is the work that I do around emotions is so foreign to him. I don't even think he quite knows what I do. I try to slip it in, in ways that feel not pushy um, yeah. and, and not trying to make him sound like he needs to cry or anything like that. I just try to slip it in. So that's one of the angles I'm coming at at this interview is how to speak to my dad. Like how yeah. do a lot of the women who are listening to this podcast, I'm imagining a lot of them really want to connect with their fathers yeah. in a way that, you know, they see them, they like really see them, they can feel each other, they can have conversations about their life because to us, that's what brings us closer. But to a lot of them, or I'm thinking of my own father, like that is something that there's like a shield or a guard around. How do we bring this into our family dynamics in a way that is not pushy and it's encouraging? Yeah, the, the, yeah. I mean, I know this from years of work, but also my own personal experience. So, so persistence and leading by example, those are, those are what I feel are the best, um, like, you know, titration or exposure over time. Uh, and never from a place of you should always from just like living it yourself. Um, so my father and I had a, uh, he's always been like my biggest fan. We've always loved each other, but we had a, we had a real tense relationship my whole life always. And, um, you know, when I, when I started, uh, doing all of my own inner diving and figuring out and, and wrestling with my emotions and everything, you know, I would invite him to a, a retreat or a workshop probably once a year, maybe more for years, many years, you know, and he just, he always kindly, uh, you know, didn't, you know, said no. And then once I started every man, uh, you know, he was, he listened to the podcast every week, he followed everything we did. So he was inoculated with it. Right. And he was, it was just exposure therapy in a way. And I kept asking him and, and it started to change and he'd be like, well, no, and I'll tell you why I'm terrified. Right. So he got honest about it. He's mm. like, no, I was like, that scares the shit out of me. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I love you. And then he, a couple of years ago, he calls me, he says, you know, Daniel, he calls me Daniel, Daniel, I, I, I think I'm going to come because I need to be there for you. <laughs> right. Oh. And, uh, I'm like, fuck yeah. Awesome. And I knew I, you know, I hear things on a bunch of different levels. So I, I also heard, you know, he was willing. He was finally willing. And um, this has been one of my main talking points and one of my, my main sort of things that I, that I speak about is, is, is this moment. But he came to retreat and we had um, probably the deepest, one of the deepest healing experiences I've ever had. Uh, in, mm. He and I were put in the front, in the center of a circle of 60, 70 guys. And um, we, they kind of ran us through this little thing and we turned and looked in each other's eyes. And um, I was literally my I like I doubled in half I lost my feet I fell over I was mm -hmm. like it was the most wild like I I knew this moment was gonna come I figured this moment was come I didn't know what it would be like I thought it would probably involve a lot of rage or a lot of sharing or disappointment or sadness and none of that was there it was just this like holy shit, we love each other so much and we've never let each other love, her, that love each other. And so we saw each other in that moment and it was, it, it not only changed our relationship, it not only changed me, 
it, I do believe it changed my family and my lineage completely. I have two little boys too. And my dad's very involved with my two boys. And so it's just like this huge, huge, like male lineage, patrilineal thing that happened. And um, so I, I share that just because it's my favorite story, but on the question of how to connect to dad, um, I mean, the other thing that comes to mind is, and this is sort of a generality, but I think it's real is, is meet him where he's at, mm-hmm. you know, meet him where he's at. And that God, that's hard to do. I think meeting our parents where they're at is <laughs> fuck. I don't know if there's much that's harder yeah. than that in life, but, um, you know, what I know is that our dads, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, um, what I know about my, I'll speak about my dad. He, his dad was like a magnification of 10 times, probably harder and more shut down than, than he was. And his growth that he did was magnificent. And from my shoes as his son and sort of like, you know, having to deal with the shit between us and all that, it's very easy to just be like, uh, you know, fuck that guy <laughs> and all that shit you didn't do for me. But when I can actually get over that and look at the big picture, the amount of love and safety he provided me and look like I am, I got no complaints about who I am, you know, like he fucking did it. He was an incredible father and and he gave me so much. And I am, I'm just pretty much, not that I can't fall into it, but I'm pretty much over it. I I no longer blame him for Mm. anything. Um, Oh, and even hearing those words, it feels so good. Like being free from the blame. Not that I would see you as someone that gets stuck in that land, but for anyone listening, like that is possible for everyone as being, there's a, there's a period you go through, of course. And I think that's really important of looking at how your childhood shaped the person you are today and distinguishing between fault and responsibility and where you could then take forward responsibility for your own emotional well-being while not being at fault for things that happen. But that, I have also often said this on my podcast, is that my, my father, I would say both my parents are my greatest teachers. But my father is one of my, my, my greatest teachers because he, um, I'm, I'm like one part daddy's little girl. And like, I, I just love my father so much. And I, I want his approval and I get so excited whenever he's proud of me. And like, Every day I become more and more of daddy's little girl in like some weird ways. Just like just becoming closer to him even though we live so far. And as that happens, I can also get very frustrated at how wildly different we are. And I look at his lineage and wow, same with your dad. Like my dad has come such a far way, such a far way. And I've experienced this this layer of grief in my life for wanting to like I feel the part of me that wants to change him to make him feel to make him feel what's coming up for him to go to therapy to uh, do his own work and and there's a part of me that feels grief around what I'm imagining he's going through does that make sense? Like I imagine yeah, sure. like he's in this long, I don't think he's lonely. I think he's, he's a tough guy and he's got a lot going for him, but there are stories I tell in my own head. And I don't know if this is because of the empathy or it's like a distraction from me feeling my own feelings about my life, a projection. But I notice that I start creating these stories and then I go into a place of grief because 
I just want him to, I just want so much goodness for my dad. Yeah. I want him to be happy. I want him to feel like just full of life and full of emotions and free. And my, my role here, as you're saying, is to be the example and to love him where he's at and to be here, like just be here for him if there ever comes a time where he wants to talk about feelings or emotions and maybe send him things like the Everyman website like I did yeah, this morning. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Look at this. Yeah, I think the, the, the example thing is huge. And, and I think it takes, if I know one thing about guys, I think I know, I know a handful of things. One is that um, an example by modeled by someone that they respect is one of the most powerful ways to get to a man, if not the most powerful, right? I, I think that um, for whatever reason, you know, you can tell a guy a hundred million different things and um, depending on whose voice, and I think this is human, it's not just guys, but but there is a thing like like men are fragile. They are. We are. We're fragile creatures, right? We have this um, this man card thing that we supposedly have to earn, and we're terrified of being humiliated. Humiliated. We're uh, our value is based on what we what we do and what we build and what we earn, and and um, and it really is this really old you know script of of what our uh, our identities are. Mm-hmm. and to sh- to sh- rattle that i feel it's like one of the h- held, like firmest like tightest held sort of like prescriptions cultural prescriptions right like in terms of like man like to be a man right you know it's it is we are 20 it's 2020 right but like things are changing so fast societally that this this the undergirding the wiring underneath all of this in terms of uh, men to to truly accept this, I think it's actually changing and loosening in pretty um, remarkable ways right now. But I have a lot of compassion for you know the generation above us, you know, so my dad and those guys. And um, it's I also do think that you know as you get older in age, it does seem it seems harder maybe to change ways. You know, I think it yeah. feels like the neurological tunnels get a little more rigid and. But I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, really. What are your thoughts on the very traditional, old-fashioned idea of the man being the protector? And that tying in with now men being free with their emotions and feeling and those two side by side. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that's, that's kind of ancient. I think it is ancient. And I think it's very true. And I think we would be... George Fowler is a psychotherapist in the EFT world that... He's, he's one of my heroes and the way he's, he was a New York city firefighter. He was there at ground zero on nine 11. He's just a guy. Right. And he's, you know, deep and uh, open and just lovely. And he speaks about this and I agree with him fully. He's like, we, if we're going to like try to change guys, change, change men, let's first slow down and um, think whatever this manhood thing is for, you know, all of the wars they've fought and all of the actual protection that they've offered in, you know, in, in much older and more ancient and more violent times. Like there was a real thing. Like we, like we are living in it in a different world now, but so there's like some honor that needs to be given to men for that role. Right. Um, that's George, George's taken. And, and I think there's something there. Um, 
but my my specific take on it is that you know what do we actually need protection from you know like um during the world during world war ii we needed protection from whoever were fucking trying to kill us right during caveman days we probably needed protection from you know the the other tribe who we had more food than them and they're going to come fucking take it from us because they were starving um or from big animals or, or things like that right like there's there's real protection things that are deep today what do my boys need protection from on when i'm just looking at it very honestly me and my shit like what's gonna hurt them my wife and i not dealing with our own shit and and Mm. pouring it on them that's it like yeah i want to make sure they don't like run into a rattlesnake down by the river i want to make sure they have good teachers want to make sure they're around safe adults all of that stuff is you know pretty basic but nobody's trying to kill us you know we're not starving and the biggest threat i see um in a lot of places is is parents and adults and in a society that um, strangles their authenticity and and turns them into something that they're not and then they're going to spend the rest of their fucking life trying to undo that to me that's it right now that's all really profound that question of what do we need protecting from really makes you pause and think because that is something that just, it's a script that just kind of plays on default. It made me think of how it also might be time for women who are single and dating to reevaluate some of those things that they look for of like wanting to feel that protective energy from him, the tall, him being taller, bigger, burlier, stronger, like all these things that I think a lot of women automatically have that script playing in their head of must be the protector, must be more, more of whatever I am. Because why? We all have the right to like what we like, of course. And I also wonder how much of that was simply because we were taught that when we were younger. I certainly was. I was taught from childhood like the the bucket list of things, the check marks that must be checked off from my future man for him to protect me and me to be basically the be- beautiful trophy wife, you know? Yeah. They were doing their absolute best with what they had known. Like that, I'm 28, even whenever I was like one years old, like that was still, it's just amazing how far we have come. Yeah. It really, it yeah. is. It's worth pausing to be so grateful how far we've come just in my lifetime of what I've known. But when I was a child, like that's all they knew is that when you, when your daughter gets older, like what they knew is that then she needs to get married and then make babies and live in Dallas, Texas and like stay put. And there's, there's sometimes that script is running in my head of when I'm dating, what I'm looking for. And there's this, to some extent, I like it like this, this energy of being protected. I'm the, I'm the feminine creature. But then going underneath it, what is the role and the pressure that I'm putting on this person to be that might not be authentic and actually might not lead us into more love? Totally. I also think, though, that um, I feel like we're far more primal beings than we give ourselves credence for, too. And so the desire for a strong, burly, you know, protective man, I mean, I, I, I... I don't think we should downplay that either, right? I mean, we're living in this bougie, cushy world right now, but um, I, I think we we tend to believe the scenario in front of us is just going to continue happening, right? But like, 
they're like protecting from violence. I mean, that's, that is a part of our world. Much of us right now in America don't have to deal with, but that's not true around the globe. Right. And it's not true through time, you know, and like this virus in, in China goes a bad way and all of a sudden things could be totally fucking different. Right. And so, and I'm not saying that to scare anybody, but I'm just trying to point to the primal urges that are driving a lot of what we do and to honor that and to honor the history of like how humans have survived to date, right? Mm. And that certainly plays a large part of it. I think what is on offer right now is a is an is an opportunity for the whole, for the whole, for more of the whole. Which, so here's, I have another hero. His name's Terry Real. He's another psychotherapist that, that works with men. Um, he's a very brilliant guy. And he has a quote, and I'm not going to get it perfect, but uh, it's good enough. So he was with a tribe in, somewhere in Sub-Saharan Africa. I think it was Sub-Saharan. And um, one of the tribe leaders, the men, the elders, said something like, a great warrior, and they had a word for it, Marani. I don't even know how to say it right. But the great warrior um when pushed you know that no one fucks with him right but he also when it's time to be tender he's not just tender he is so tender that you know he can like cradle a a, a tiny baby in you know in the fullness of his love or again i'm not i'm not don't don't make that an exact quote but i think you get the the idea of it which is that my perspective is that as men, as humans, let's just throw out men. And this, this is why I think as humans, we have the capacity to, to feel and be so many different parts of our, so many different things, right? So we can be completely violent and we can be disgusting and we can be soft and we can be all of the different things. And, and I do think that, um, if we do have the capacity to access and fill out those parts of ourselves, then we can look at what the world is truly presenting us right now and asking of us. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's kind of that. And so that I do think that I don't think that men in any way should abandon any of the classic manly shit. I, I really don't. I mean, I don't, you know, but I do feel like, it's not the only way. And if we're blind to what is needed around us, we're only going to be causing more damage. Right. So I think, I think we have an opportunity here to sort of like take stock, to slow the heck down and, um, and destigmatize the, the fact that emotions are still like a a stigma. Um, I, I imagine 50 years from now, culturally, we're going to look back and be like, what a bunch of nutsack. Sorry for yeah. ter- terrible. What a bunch of, bunch of dummies. But like how in the world did they think they could get around with like repressing every damn thing they felt? What like what a stunted way of living. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. I think that's so cool. That's a beautiful thought. So we've talked a bit about fathers and connecting with fathers. What about sons? Because I'm assuming a lot of my listeners have have little boys. What are some of the... Maybe like, because I know the the very obvious phrases that need to go like man up or don't, you know, crying yeah. like a girl, those need to go. Are there anything more, any other like more subtle things that happen within family dynamics or things that happen within schools that mothers and fathers need to be aware of and and change that script? allowing for more space of, of the emotions in their, their little boys. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are. You know, we're I I, I tend to prefer mostly to speak from experience, and you know, my two boys are are still quite young, and um, we live a pretty unique life here on a farm, and and boys aren't in school yet or anything. So, um, you know, I mean, there's all of the stuff that you've probably heard and think about. You know, how we dress them, the music that they get offered, the the movies that they get offered, the toys that they get offered, mm. all of these things. Um, but I think to me, the more profitable or, or interesting line on it is how can we as parents slow down enough and just like listen enough and pay attention enough and take our agendas, unhook our agendas and allow room for our kids to their own truth and essence to come through. Cause it's fucking strong with little mm. ones, right? Like, <laughs> like when they first come online, it's like, ah, oh, there you are. Whoa. That is a fully fleshed out personality. Mm-hmm. You are your own thing. That is that, you know? And so I think to me, some of the, the work or the dynamic or the, the fruitful place to go is, yeah. How, do Zach Bush, Dr. Zach Bush has a phrase called unparenting, which, which his philosophy is kind of like, let me just get out of the way as much as possible, right? Let me make sure you have enough food and you're safe, but let me keep my fucking trips to the side here. Let me not throw my trips on these kids. And, um, you know, day to day it's, I have two boys and they couldn't be more different, right? Duke is three and a half. He's like a cosmic star child that has deep feelings and he's super articulate. <laughs> and I mean, he's, he's like, he, I expect, you know, not expect, but I imagine and could, he's okay. Three and a half. He's got a daily yoga practice. He can tell you all about his feelings and he's just like, he's just, he's just incredible. Right. And he's just him and he's funny and then I got Jude, who's the younger one, and he's just he's just like he's like a rugby player. Like he likes to party and he likes to wrestle and he <laughs> likes to grunt and ah, and he's just a cave baby. And like he came out that way, right? Like he just came out that way. So already it is hard to, you know, we're careful, we try to be careful not to pigeonhole them too much or or you know, make it mean anything and we give them room. Like we like actually Jude has, he's a cave baby and he's kind of a bruiser, but he, um, he loves baby dolls. Like he just loves them. So, you know, that's what we got him for Christmas. We got him a baby doll. Um, so I think there's kind of three points that I try to stick to, or in terms of, especially the every man world and what I think is really helpful and needed for our boys is <clears throat> one is yeah, as much as we can just honor their truth, right? Whatever that is, make room for it, honor it, uh, make space for it, all of that. I think that does get harder once you, there's friend influences in their schools and there's teachers and there's all, the, all this other stuff. I'm not sure how that's, you know, I don't know the techniques necessarily to continue that. Um, although I do think a the best thing in the world is, you know, that full transparent, honest relationship with the boys. Right. So I think the best thing I could do is model for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like no matter what I tell them, they'll maybe do a 10th of it, but what I do in front of them, they'll probably do most of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so making space for who they are, making sure that they have, um, deep connections with people, like the amount of connections necessary for a full, healthy human life. Like, I think that's, that's another primary thing we think about. And then, um, yeah, having access to, you know, on this specific subject, just 
modeling basic emotionality and, and, you know, so my wife and I, when we fight, like we let them sometimes, you know, see and hear part of it. And we, we tell them, Hey, mommy and daddy are like upset with each other and we love each other. And, um, you know, I think they, they have seen and are seeing a full spectrum of healthy human relating in front Mm. of them. So like letting, letting them see what it's like to feel as the parents, all the different the emotions. Yeah. All like normalizing it. Yeah. Normalizing it valid. And like, obviously y'all are both doing your work too, to fight. Of course, I don't know what your fighting is like, but I'm assuming that it's heart connected. Like you're fighting for each other. And so that's really, <laughs> yeah. certainly try to, it's yeah. not perfect, it's <laughs> no. not perfect, but no. it's not, I'm imagining it's not super heart closed, like traditional fighting that we see in that first stage way. in a lot of like, you know, what a lot of kids grew up. Seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have, I have another question. So we talked about dads and little boys and another one popped up for me around partners and our agendas. I'll use, I'll use man and woman here. Yeah. Yeah. That's what a lot of the listeners are looking for as a woman and craving your, your partner, maybe to, um, maybe at one point in time, not be emotional. Like this night, you really want them to not be emotional. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, how does that trigger or reverse the progress that we are trying to make here for emotions being it more doesn't. free? It doesn't. It, does, okay. it doesn't at all. And this is actually something that we need to lean into more at every man. Um, and I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it. And it doesn't. It, I, it, I think as long as it's like communicated about and, and clear and, and understood. So we, there is... In the places where every man has uh, deepened its, its like, let's say Brooklyn. That's probably our biggest hub of every man around oh, the country. Cool. And there's a, um, or New York City in general. There are, there's like a community or a couple of communities, sub-communities in New York City where the guys are now overly emotional, right? They're just, they're running that script um, more and more and more often, right? And, and, and we've never said it, but like there is a limit, there's a limit or there's a, there's like the good and the bad in no way do I think men should go around always and only deeply feeling and expressing their feelings. I mean, that that's, I'm the furthest from that. Right. Um, However, my own personal baseline is something far more neutral. Right. But, um, but I can access the emotions as needed and as appropriate. Right. And, and I think, I think for, for a, a, a woman to have, to want her partner to not be emotional, like, yeah, like a hundred percent. Right. I mean, you know, we've talked about polarity and, and those things and it's totally necessary. So, so men also do need to practice, you know, pure awareness, you know, consciousness, just mm-hmm. being, um, that, uh, that more, again, that sacred masculine thing. We yeah. haven't, we haven't gone there as an organization yet, but we will somehow in some way we're going to need to address that or, or something because, uh, and it's probably just better languaging on our part where, um, so yeah, I mean, maybe give me more specific example or, or what else could I add to that? Is it a question of how to ask the man that? Is it, um, is it just the fear that would be that helpful? It, like what you yeah. everything you just shared was very helpful, yeah, um, and validating 
especially doing the line of work that I do around polarity and, and what I typically teach is out, out, if he's going really into the, um, the energy and the emotion Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. basically out emotioning him, like going deeper into it, but then it can sometimes become, uh, I guess not, not a game. It doesn't become a game, but it becomes more of work rather than just bluntly sweetly holding space saying like, you know, holding space for what's happening, but also directing it being like, Mm -hmm. I need to, I need to feel what's coming up right now. And I need you to be a rock for me. Yeah. And I'm curious if, would that feel good to hear a partner say that, like, I really need you as my rock right now for you to hold me. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, I think that's, uh, I mean, my my body just relaxes even hearing you say that. I I think Mm -hmm. that's, um, Again, I think that's another skill set, you, you know, to kind of break this out. I think there's like multiple skill sets to be talking about here. I, I do feel that um, in general, I always suggest that partners of a relationship have their own dedicated space to do their big work and that the big work doesn't need to be processed together or maybe even shouldn't be processed together yeah. all the time. You know, I think we use each other as our own as therapists way too fucking mm-hmm. much like way too much. And so, I mean, one of the simple low hanging fruit benefits a guy gets from sitting in an everyman group is that um, automatically the weight of his emotionality gets lifted off of the shoulders of his partner and, and squarely uh, more shared in this appropriate environment mm. to actually do something with it. So if a guy is, you know, uh, no therapist, no men's group, no outlet, no place to do that. Like that's, that's a very simple, like, you know, ding, 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 like, let's do something about that, right? Because mm. it's just, life's hard. <laughs> yeah. Life's very stressful. And to, to just like sit there in a in a, a dark room with one person who's supposed to hold it all for you is, is <laughs> and I think if a guy can get his, um, you know, really like have an outlet and get balanced and get healthy, then that holding space that just being there and being that rock, I actually think it's pretty organic a lot of times or it can be, you know, or I've, it's, it's, um, I mean, I know my wife and I just, we, we certainly trade back and forth, right. If I'm, if I just, if sometimes if I am a really in a, in a rough spot and she was be there for me and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I love that you're bringing this up right now. There's an article that I was going to bring up with you and I guess I will right now, but the article is called how, uh, men have no friends and women bear the burden. Did you hear about this? I, I do think I've read that, but yeah, that's a, an old meme. That's very freaking true. Yeah, it's it's. Real. I remember reading this a while ago. Um, the the little subtitle is, and I don't like using the phrase phrase toxic masculinity, so I'll use wounded. But wounded masculinity and the persistent idea that feelings are a female thing has left a generation of straight men stranded on emotionally stunted island unable to forge intimate relationships with other men and it's women who are paying the price and reading this I, it really it made me one feel pretty grateful to be a woman i mean i know that women have gone through so many for so many things for tens of thousands of years that have been torturous and painful and uh, abusive and dismissive and all these things and I'm so grateful to be a woman because we have this built-in idea of from childhood having girl sleepovers and best friends. And then you have your girls brunches and then you have your girls groups and then you've got baby showers and wedding showers. And, and so much is around 
community for women. Now we yeah. have full moon circles where you drink cacao and, and more and more and more men are being exposed to these kinds of circles and groups. Y'all have, I mean, but going back again to like the truck drivers of the world and my fathers of the world, and that is so unheard of and there's still stigma around that. And I had a partner in, in a couple of years ago who this article is, I experienced it to a T of him really struggling with having the confidence and courage to go out and make friends, to be vulnerable, to even post on social media because what will people think of him, um, to, to talk to his father and his mother because they really never saw who he was, have a coach or a therapist, nothing. And it was so, for me, being a coach and, and loving to help people, I kind of fell into that very quickly, feeling very purposeful and useful. And then eventually deep resentment built on my oh, end, yeah. deep yeah. resentment. And then, then it got nasty. I'd come home and you'd be watching a show and I'd be like, why don't you go make some friends? And eventually got to the point of like, make friends, get on Bumble BFF, do whatever you have to do to go make friends. And then it didn't feel good on my end. Like I wasn't coming from a place of encouragement and love and yeah. leading by example. I got so frustrated that it came out closed hearted which was not, not very, but I, I also am not blaming myself because I, I know there was a dynamic going on there that I just didn't have the tools to, to work with anymore. And it, it, it hurts to know that that's, that dynamic is happening in so many relationships. I mean, I, I think it is uh, endemic. It's endemic in our culture. That is like the way it is for the majority of men in our culture mm -hmm. and stop. Mm -hmm. And that is what uh, that is what we're working on. Yeah. Like very specifically, the two things I think that that we're we're fighting against very specifically and intentionally is the repression of emotion and isolation, social isolation. Those two things are endemic in men in our country and globally. We're learning more and more, and they just don't fucking work. It they it just it just isn't a, it's just not a helpful way to be anymore right like to stuff everything down and deal with it all on your own man like like it's not we don't have to have there are studies there are statistics like we can go through statistics like the suicide rate continues to just con climb for men over and over in the uk right now it's the number one uh cause of death for middle-aged men suicide oh my god yeah wow yeah Yes. And, you know, the opioid crisis, like dudes walking into to schools and shooting shit up. And like, I'm not making it like I'm not blaming everything on this. It's not fair. But if you if you follow a lot of like the Me Too movement, a lot of this stuff, if you follow these issues back to close to the source or to the source, it's just a lot of unhealthy men. There's a lot of unhealthy men hurting themselves and hurting other people in really substantial ways, in ways that are um I believe true blocks to true cultural blocks to take on the bigger mm. issues. Some of the bigger issues that we need to take on. I think men are frozen. Mm -hmm. Men are just generally frozen and they're doing their best, you know, and they're working with like, this isn't a blame thing. Like, cause, but there is an opportunity right now and it's, um, it's pretty remarkable to 
my favorite thing in the world still is to go to a retreat and have somebody come in who you would not expect to come to a, a retreat like this and sit with them as they take those first terrifying steps to open up. And I, that's what I want to share mm-hmm. with women, how terrifying it is for men. It's truly terrifying. It's truly like standing on the edge of a cliff, like thinking you're going to die, that level of terrifying. Mm. And that's, that's sort of like the call to action I feel for men is, is every guy, every man that goes through our stuff comes out the other side with no doubt, zero doubt that them opening up and doing the vulnerability thing is, is like an act of courage, is an act of strength, is an act of protection, is an act of all of these, these traditional masculine things, um, which is, you know, paradigm shifting. Mm-hmm. It's like the shadow work that you feeling those feelings and those emotions, it makes you a better protector, better leader. It's not the opposite. It's not like holding you back from that. The more you go into those emotions and you're feeling what's coming up for you as a man and feeling the collective pain. A billion percent, and even a, a personal note for me, I, um, you know, I was a football player, I'm a hunter, I've like been a pretty involved in, in classically manly stuff most of my life, but I was also a gentle giant in a lot of ways. Like I, I was like, I played football, but I played very kindly. <laughs> like I, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't a killer in any mm-hmm. sense, but doing the emotional work and doing that um, has, you know, in, later in my life allowed me to tap into that. Um, that that wildness and mm. that that even potential for violence and things like that in a safe way right like not yeah. in a um and so doing that yeah it's the other sort of fallacy about that is like going into feelings is all about being sappy and sad and crying it's not true there's so many things like the amount of guys who can't feel happy or joy or pride in in themselves or anything they do is is wild and like it's the whole spectrum. Like we, we, like we're just getting reps in and, and like letting ourselves feel angry, letting ourselves feel sad, letting ourselves feel grief, letting ourselves feel joy. Like all of it, they all have governors on them and it's, it's um, and they all have immense rewards for, for owning. Mm. Oh, beautiful. That chunk right there was so good. It's, it's, it summarizes why you are doing this work and what this work is doing and how it's extending out and allowing people, like you said, not just going into the sappy feels, going into actually feeling proud of themselves. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. We have so many underutilized guys out there who are just like not owning their strength and Mm -hmm. not owning any of it. And it's, I actually think it's like one of the the biggest resources. It's like it's like extract. It's like mining for gold, right? Yeah. Like, like there's so much resources trapped up in dudes who are just repressed. Mm-hmm. So, for all the people who are wanting to get more more from you and join one of these groups or looking look into um, all the materials that you write, the videos, where can they connect with you online? Um, Dan Dash Doty dot com and Everyman dot com. That's E V R Y M A N dot com. Um, both personally and every man we're on Insta and all, all of the different things. Um, and why is every missing one of the E's? We couldn't afford the website. <laughs> really? With both E's, yeah. Really? Yeah. 
what is the alternative thing you say? Because there's another thing that you say. I heard you say because E with oh well, somebody came up with that. The yeah, the um, the E is gone because emotion is missing in men's life. So, so that's you, what I expected you to say, but the answer you gave is like so much better. It's so much better. <laughs> I love it. I wasn't expecting that. Okay, just a couple quick fire round questions for you. Are you ready? Mm. Mm. <laughs> what is one book everyone must go out and buy? Siddhartha by Herman Hess. What is your favorite indulgence at the moment? Um, like a, a, some indica cannabis and a massage at the same time. Oh, wow. Yes. Who's your most profound mentor? Owen Marcus. What is the best investment under ten thousand you've made in the past year? Mm. I've I barely bought a single fucking thing. I can't think of anything that I've invested in this last year. Then happiness. This is happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about my investment is is not buying things? Yeah, that's, actually, that's, that's yeah. a good investment. Yeah. Um. So there's a, a theory that when you die, someone really important to you that has died before greets you. There's like, um, do, you, do you know who you think it will be? Yeah, either my grandpa Charlie or my aunt Tammy. Oh, grandpa Charlie or aunt. I have an aunt Tammy, actually. Yeah, They're so like, oh my God. I, you have two aunt Tammies? I did. One of them passed. But, oh my yeah. gosh. That reminds me of uh, Ron from Parks and Rec, his two Tammies. <laughs> Tammy too. Um, Oprah always asks this question. I like this question. What do you know for sure? Mm, loving feels good. What is the next travel destination on your list? That- Prague. I'm doing a, I'm doing a talk at a human rights, um, event in Prague. Oh, wow. Congrats. That's actually not true. My next one is I'm going to Todos Santos, Mexico for three days in next week. Just a vacation? Yeah, friends, friends oh, birthday party. Good for you. Good for you. All right, last question. Three dream guests for dinner party. Mm, Barack Obama. Um probably can they be dead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um Genghis Khan and um Beyonce. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And what would your main course be? Um, well, depending on, I don't know if they all eat meat, but probably, um, elk steaks. Elk steaks. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Beyonce eating an elk steak Mm -hmm. next to Barack Obama (laughs) and Genghis Kong and you. What an amazing party. (laughs) What an eclectic mix. Dan, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. This was such a smooth conversation and it just felt really good and insightful. And I can't wait for all the, all the people around the world to listen, including the truck drivers of the world. And helping us just validate emotions and make it make it an, a, an enjoyable process instead of just I hope your dad listens to it. I hope he does too. He's going to be like, why would you talk about me on that podcast? <laughs> but then he'll be like, thanks, I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. It was enjoyable. And there you have it, love bugs. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dan. And last but not least, before you head off, go to your next activity, go to the next podcast. I have an event coming up. It's called the Embodied Archetype. This is going to be June 5th to 7th in New York City. 
The embodied archetype, giving a voice to the hidden shadow, is a safe container, a very open and intimate space where you will be diving deep into your shadow. We have many shadows, but for the sake of this weekend, you're gonna be playing with a specific shadow that actually you discover over the course of the weekend. There's no pressure to know coming into it. Don't worry, you will find it. But through embodiment and breathwork and feminine and masculine polarity, a little bit of improv, connecting to your womb space, connecting to your heart, connecting to your rage and your elation and all these emotions, you'll discover the part of you that you've been turning off and you've been hiding away and you've been repressing. And at the embodied archetype, you will reclaim her or him, this part of you that is tender and needs to be heard and seen. This is a weekend for self-discovery and reclamation and opening and releasing and we would love to have you there. I co-host this event with actor, director, vocal coach, Jamie Woolrab, who was also on my podcast twice, and I will have the links to those episodes on the show notes for this if you want to check it out. Again, the dates for the retreat are June 5th to 7th this year, 2020, and you can go to maddiemoon.com forward slash events to apply, and from there, we'll have a call, you'll get a nifty PDF with more information, and we'll rock and roll from there. Hope to see your application and I'll see you next Wednesday for another episode.